Open your cerebral cortex and shift your lobes into upper beta phase because you are going to have Bitcoin knowledge transmitted directly into your vestibulocochlear. Your host of Bitcoin Knowledge is Trace Mayer, an early Bitcoin advocate since it cost a quarter, but this is not intended to be investment advice. A doctor of jurisprudence, but this is definitely not legal advice. And an investor in core cryptocurrency infrastructure, including Armory, BitPay, Kraken, and Mitagio, but this is not a recommendation of those services. Here, you get fed via direct mind download with pure and free Bitcoin knowledge. Welcome back to the Bitcoin Knowledge Podcast. We have another uh, weekly update with Kevin Zhao. We're going to talk a little bit about the fundamentals and the technical analysis on uh, the Bitcoin price. So welcome back to the podcast, Kevin. Glad to be back, Trace. Yeah, so you, you had some very interesting notes just about the interest rates uh, on U.S. dollars over at Bitfinex. Maybe you could go into that a little bit. Yeah, you know, uh, the interest rates uh, for dollars uh, on Finex have usually been higher than Bitcoin and, uh, you know, sometimes even two or three times higher uh, than Bitcoin. So, you know, I was starting to wonder why that's the case. <clears throat> and, you know, I was thinking about, um, you know, interest rate parity. Uh, so, you know, covered interest rate parity. And, you know, what that is, is that, you know, technically if you had dollars to loan out, uh, you can get some interest on it, you know, at some rate. Uh, and that should be equivalent to converting those dollars to Bitcoin, uh, getting that Bitcoin interest, and then selling a, a future or forward uh, on Bitcoin to sort of lock in the future price when that contract closes. So if you go the first route or if you go the second route, um, you know, by interest rate parity, uh, it really should, you know, be the same amount. Um you know, that you get back in terms of return. So, you know, looking at that, it, it looks like, um, you know, based on, based on Bitfinex's current uh, interest rates and based on BitMEX futures, um, that you're sort of better off uh, going with, uh, you know, the Bitcoin route and loaning out money uh, uh, for Bitcoin. So um, what it looks like right now, the spot is about like uh, 231.79. And the future, uh, which expires in about six days, is trading at 233.13. Uh, so if you took 10 grand there, <clears throat> so if you took 10 grand and you loaned it out at the Bitfinex uh, dollar rate, you'd make about $13 in uh, six days. And if you took Bitcoin, uh, you'd probably end up making around you know, $61, $62. So it seems like the Bitcoin path is, um, you know, just a little bit better. And, uh, you know, really, it's, it really begs the question why that's the case, you know, because it's, it's showing that covered interest rate parity isn't holding. And, uh, you know, it's possible that maybe, you know, there's, when there's restrictions on capital controls uh, in the actual currency markets, this sometimes happens where, um, where interest parity uh, breaks down. Um, so maybe there's something there. Um, I haven't really thought too much on it, but it is strange. And it really, in a, in a purely efficient and uh, open market, you know, free market, um, interest rate parity should hold. So the fact that it doesn't is very interesting. Yeah, so is Bitcoin normally in Contango then as, as, a, as an asset? 
Mm-hmm. It is it is normally in contango. And, um, because I think we're also seeing weird things in the gold market with uh, gold and backwardation. So I wonder if it has anything to do with the uh, like the Fed rate decision that came out just recently, uh, the negative interest rate policy that's there but may be changing. Do you think it has anything to do with, with these types of larger macro uh, pictures? Uh, it could. I mean, I think the gold markets in the front months have been in backwardation for a while. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really uh, pretty concerning because um, what it's saying is that, and I guess to take a step back, the gold markets are normally in contango because there's a significant cost of carry. Right. Uh, they, well, they should, they should never, ever be in backwardation. That's uh, right. It, I mean, it's just, it is a major, major uh, canary in the coal mine. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, with, with gold, you have to warehouse it, you have to store it. I mean, there's definitely some positive cost. Yep, uh, I'm sure it's right. To, to insure it, yeah. yeah the opportunity cost of interest that you might earn on the fiat instead. Mm-hmm, absolutely. So it makes sense that gold would be in contango. However, if it's in backwardation, it's suggesting something else, right? It's suggesting that, you know, uh, in the front months at least, it's suggesting that the spot market for physical gold right now is worth more than, you know, paper gold in three days, right? But if you really think about it, and, that's... And that's the, and the opportunity cost. So it, it's better to have physical possession now than to have paper gold in the future with even with paying storage and insurance costs even, and even, giving up the interest rate uh, right, exactly. that you would earn. So, exactly. I mean, it signals a major lack of trust in the overall system and delivery of physical. Right, exactly. I mean, it's basically saying that paper gold has counterparty risk and significant enough to compensate for uh, the cost of carry, which is... Uh, very concerning because it's saying that the integrity of the capital markets is not, you know, not, it's falling apart a little bit, you know, it's not at its peak. Falling apart a lot of it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's falling apart a bit, you know, so um, definitely very worrisome. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, but going back to um, Bitcoin, uh, why Bitcoin is in contango, um, I think there's actually a lot of different theories and ideas on it. I mean, if you, in some ways you could say that there is a cost of carry uh, to the Bitcoin. Um, in some ways, you could even argue that its natural interest rate is negative and therefore it has to appreciate in price over time. Like, there is a lot of different, you know, arguments to be made, but this has uh, generally been true um, since, you know, even the ICBIT days, uh, the first uh, forward and futures market for Bitcoin. It's always been in contango. I mean, the contango has come down a lot. Uh, I think back then, I mean, you could even see something like in one month, you could get 20%, you know, doing, doing a carry. Uh, you know, I don't think that you can do that anymore. I mean, I think it's come down a lot, but it is still in contango. So um, it's still suggesting uh, something or other um, based on whatever your interpretation is. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to say, right? Yeah. I mean, this is just very strange that, you know, with $10,000, like you said, there's, there's an opportunity for $60 of profit one way and $13 of profit the other way. And there doesn't appear to be that big of a difference between either ways. Yeah, and you know, really, it's it is just very strange. I mean, it's I, I don't know how to explain it. You know, well, do you, so do you think part of this just might be the lack of sophistication in the Bitcoin markets themselves, uh, because there there do seem to be statistical arbitrage opportunities all the time. 
they're you know the inefficiency of of the different bank accounts and and the fundamental plumbing that goes on behind the scenes with the various exchanges and everything introduces a risk and maybe this is just pricing all that in or there's asymmetric knowledge i mean there could be a lot of different reasons for it right mm, yeah i think that that definitely makes sense i mean like in some ways to do this whole thing through the bitcoin side it requires like you know multiple steps right and uh you know you could take like a couple of steps you could you could uh get dollars in a bitcoin on bitfinex you can you know get into the uh bitcoin swaps market in bitfinex but you also have to have an account at bitmex right to do the futures so maybe you know there's not that many people who have both accounts or moving money between those uh two exchanges is difficult maybe there's something there uh, maybe it's just that the market isn't very deep. So, you know, we're seeing like these small opportunities here uh, to make a little bit of extra cash. But, you know, uh, if you took it to larger and larger sums, maybe it, it would be more difficult. So uh, maybe that's all it is. You know, that, that could be what it is. Yeah. What do you, you know, so we've talked a little bit about the technicals behind this stuff. What do you, what do you think about some of the fundamentals that have uh, changed this week? Uh, we, we seem to have a very big news announcement. Uh, do you have any comment on that? Oh, are you talking about the CFTC decision that uh, Bitcoin is a commodity? Yeah, exactly. Like, how's that play into into all of this? Uh, well, I think um, you know they listed out some names, and uh, I think the CFTC is saying that Bitcoin is a commodity, and they they want to regulate all Bitcoin derivatives, including you know swaps, um, options, futures, uh, forwards, that sort of thing. Uh, they listed out a whole bunch of companies that you know they, they think fall under their jurisdiction, and as I understand, they sent out some uh, people from their enforcement arm uh, to go talk with uh, you know these players in the Bitcoin space. So um, you know, I mean, I think it's just it's very common to have this you know sort of thing where uh, you know the IRS is saying Bitcoin is property, FinCEN is saying Bitcoin is virtual currency, you know, and now the CFTC says it's a commodity. So I mean, everybody wants. Uh, you know, some, some regulatory oversight over Bitcoin. And it's really because Bitcoin sort of falls into, you know, its own real category, right? I mean, it's such a new and nascent thing. Uh, in the beginning with the internet, it was regulated by, you know, telecommunications, right? It was regulated by like the FCC or something like that. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was like that. And it was only over time that we really understood that the internet was just completely something different. So, um, I think Bitcoin is sort of in the same boat, and uh, we'll see how the government, you know, the, the government, uh, different government organizations right now, are sort of disagreeing with each other on uh, what Bitcoin is. But in the end, they have to classify it, right? First of all, they either have to, have to uh, classify it as something uh, that is different from everything else, or just say that it's either you know currency or it's either you know a commodity, but not both. You know, so. Yeah, and I, th I think it just highlights the importance of the the regulators to want to work with the companies in the industry. Uh, for example, I was at the consensus conference that CoinDesk put on in New York City, and Assistant U.S. Attorney Catherine Hahn, who leads the Digital Currency Task Force, she reiterated, I think, two or three times during her presentation, just the importance of working with industry and so did the people from the FBI and some of the other law enforcement. And so, you know, it's very interesting when FinCEN or the CFTC comes out with, you know, guidance or some type of a ruling, but where they don't actually follow the due process of law with uh, like the rulemaking process, for example. And so, 
it, you know, they, they kind of, you know, they, they, they need to work with industry and they do carry kind of a big blunt stick. But at the same time, there is this concept of due process of law and rulemaking authority. And so, you know, if they if they come up with all this guidance that they keep issuing and keep going down one particular path and then that were to actually get challenged. Uh, and we've already seen from the mid 90s that cryptography has been upheld as freedom of speech under the First Amendment. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and we already have political speech and religious speech that's in the blockchain. Uh, so, you know, it, it'd be very interesting to see how all this plays out and just, you know, reiterates the importance that I think uh, Ms. Hahn uh, wanted to reinforce everybody that, look, everybody kind of needs to work together in order for us to move this forward. Uh, and, and otherwise, it could really kind of get into a morass. Uh, and the last thing I think the regulators and everybody need is a long, protracted legal battle that strikes at the very constitutional heart of a lot of the issues, because that could take years, maybe even decades to resolve, in which time the technology would just you know, fundamentally uh, run, run out from underneath them, go to other jurisdictions like the Isle of Man or, or a lot of this stuff. Uh, so it's, you know, it's very interesting to see all of this playing out. And maybe that's what these uh, interest rates and uh, covered interest rate parity and the differences in the swaps is kind of saying is like, you know, we, we need to understand where the the underlying settlement assets are, whether they're USD or whatever, and what jurisdictions they're in. And then it's beginning to price that in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And, you know, I think, you know, more more on the, the regulators, I think, you know, with them, um, you know, they, they have some good reasons for wanting to, you know, know if Bitcoin is being used for money laundering or this and that terrorist finance, financing or whatnot. And I think it's only by working together with the Bitcoin companies that, um, you know, we'll be able to, to help them out with that. And, you know, if, if, you know, things get, you know, really into a long protracted battle, um, you know, maybe even going up to the Supreme Court on what, you know, what Bitcoin actually is and how it should be regulated. I mean, that really helps no one, right? Like, it doesn't help the Bitcoin companies because then they have to move to, uh, you know, other jurisdictions like uh, the Isle of Man. It doesn't help the regulators because they lose their grasp on, you know, uh, being able to have oversight over Bitcoin. So I think finding some type of good compromise, uh, which they don't stifle innovation, um, you know, with too much excessive regulation, but, but, you know, at the same time, you know, that, you know, the Bitcoin companies help them out, uh, you know, uh, make them look good in front of, uh, you know, all the other government organizations and hopefully get them a bigger budget or whatnot. I mean, however, whatever their incentives are as a regulatory body, uh, you know, uh, I guess beyond helping people and customers and consumers or whatnot, um, you know, then, then we, you know, I think the industry can definitely help them with that. Yeah. Well, and that's assuming that there's even an industry there, you know, looking at it, you know, from my perspective, I mean, it was my money that has hired the chief compliance officers at BitPay and at Kraken, for example, and there needs to be a, a return on investment. And if there's not, then, you know, we need to fold up shop and go somewhere else where we can. And the Isle of Man, they are rolling out the red carpet for this industry. So, you know, I think it's it's important for the regulators to kind of understand that, you know, the U.S. has no God-given right to venture capital. They have no God-given right to having industry develop here. And uh, we're, we've, we've already seen the major Bitcoin exchanges are outside of the U.S., you know, and it's 
it's only a matter of time, I think, before uh, compliance costs get too high that they'll drive even more and more business outside of the U.S. Unless they, you know, take a reasonable approach in working with a lot of the Bitcoin companies, because you know they, uh, at least like Kraken and BitPay, for example, like we have AML plans, we have chief compliance officers, we actually uh, implement those plans. Uh, we've, you know, we, and we've we've helped. Uh, identify uh, people that law enforcement have asked for. So, I mean, it's, and that's, and those are the rules of the game, you know, and we understand that. But if the, if the rules cause the cost to be too high, then, uh, you know, it doesn't justify the, the deployment of capital to that area. And, mm. you know, just like, you know, I'm not going to invest in a company in North Korea, for example, you know, there's no ROI on that. You know, I'm not going to invest in a company in a lot of these jurisdictions where, uh, where you know, there there's too much uncertainty where the the ROI doesn't justify the uh, internal rate of return that's required for the project. So, uh, you know, it's just it's going to be kind of interesting because the CFTC that you know they send this out and they're like, hey, look, we got another place where it's going to potentially cost you money. <laughs> <laughs> right everybody takes their toll isn't that right huh yeah um, yeah and but, and but you know when you're dealing with startups when you're dealing with a new industry like this uh there just isn't the capital there and you know it, the big banks the big banks you, you take the combined market cap and they still pale in comparison to the size of the tech companies and we're seeing rumblings out of china right now that the way they want to grow their economy is through, you know, tech and innovation. So, you know, it's not that the big banks should be worried about Silicon Valley coming like Jamie Dimon is. He should be worried about Shanghai coming. And you know what? Singapore, they're rolling out the red carpet for the Bitcoin industry also. And uh, Hong Kong's been very, very easy to deal with. So it's it, it's maybe it's just part of the shift of dominance from the West to the East. Um it's going to be interesting to watch it all play out, though. Yeah, I, I hope that's not the case. I actually quite like it here in America. But, uh, you know, I completely agree with you. I think, you know, where there is, you know, it's sometimes there's, you know, interest rate arbitrage. Sometimes there's regulatory arbitrage. And that's that's just the nature of, you know, how business goes. And if we, uh, you know, end up pushing away all these Bitcoin companies, you know, this this hub of innovation, uh, away from the states, I mean that's that's a huge loss. I mean, can you just imagine if the internet was first coming a, about and there were you know all all the internet companies had to get an information transfer license and then you know search was considered a derivative on information and they'd have to get approval by some like derivatives organization and you know and whatnot. Everything just gets mired up. In, oh, in that. I mean, Silicon Valley would have never developed, you know? Yeah, and I think one of the, uh, you know, they actually floated as a potential bill in Congress that in order to send or receive an email, you would have to go down to the local post office to do it. Yeah, I mean, that's the whole thing defeats the point, right? I mean, the yeah. whole thing is so absurd, it really defeats the point, right? Yeah, same, same so. with fax machines. So, it, I mean, yeah, if you want to live in, like, 1950s technology like North Korea currently has, and there's no reason that North Korea shouldn't be like South Korea and have uh, some of the fastest, cheapest Internet in the world. But uh, it's solely because of the regulatory process in North Korea that they're so stifled. And it's interesting when you look at the cost of broadband, you look at the cost of Internet and, and the speeds and everything and the speeds of wireless 
the U.S. is falling further and further and further behind. Uh, the Isle of Man, for example, in Q1 of 2016, they're going to be testing 5G, which is going to have one gigabit per second to your mobile phone for data. Oh, wow. That's that's a good place to be. I like speed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, every you you got to have speed because if you're going to be doing bioinformatics or genomics, uh, you're moving around these massive data sets, you've got to be able to move them fast. Uh, but, I, I mean, imagine what type of de- apps and everything are going to get developed with one gigabit per second to cell phones. Uh, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, and yet, you know, the U.S. is just going to be lagging behind. They're going to be using their typewriters still. <laughs> right. Maybe, maybe devolve into using smoke signals or something. <laughs> well, well, and I, I think, I think there was actually even a joke, like one of the FinCEN people said, this was behind closed doors, but they said, you know, e- even if you're transferring value with smoke signals, we claim the, uh, the authority to regulate it. And so, I mean, if you want to take that large and expansive of a way of, of regulating, like, sure, but uh, realize uh, the industry is just not going to be here <laughs> and they're yeah. going to go somewhere else. And I mean, this this process of de-dollarization is already picking up massive steam. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the actual percentage of central bank assets that are held in dollars are already down over 10 percent over the last uh, like five to 10 years. And that process is speeding up. Russia, China, uh, the oil producers—they want to—they want to increase the rate of that de-dollarization. I mean, everybody's kind of, you know, chomping at the bit. And so, whew, you know, it's not something that should be taken for granted. Uh, you know, this this huge amount of capital, human capital that's come to the U.S., economic capital that's come to the U.S. Maybe you know we kind of have taken it for granted, and everybody in the U.S. thinks that there's just this God-given right for it. But now you have places like Brazil and Santiago where they're actively courting startups. Uh, Russia just rolled out a program that went live at the end of 2014, where uh, people with startups uh, can get permanent residencies and citizenship within three years. Uh, so they're importing human capital. I mean, everybody's uh, wanting to import human capital. And human capital is very, very easy to just uh, get on a plane and leave. And then, yikes, you know, what do you do when you don't have the smartest people in the room anymore? Yeah, it gets difficult. I mean, I think even Chile is, uh, they're subsidizing people to come and, and build startups in uh, in their country. And, uh, yeah, I mean, this, this whole thing is um, very worrisome, in my opinion. I mean, you know, you, you really look at it, the... In, in history, the reserve currency of the world, I mean, usually has a lifespan of, you know, what, 70 to 120 years. And uh, we're sort of well in that range for the U.S. dollar. So, um, you know, I think we need to be careful that, you know, that we, we do things right so that, we, you know, we don't calcify as a country, you know. And yeah, well, uh, how, how's a good way to kind of how's a good way to kind of hedge that? Uh, is it move like move into shorter and shorter duration term securities, uh, kind of like the Chinese have done? They've massively brought down the 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 duration of their treasuries, for example. I mean, they still own four trillion of them, so of course they don't want them to go poof overnight. Uh, but I think they sold ninety billion last month uh, and eighty billion the month before. So is it just like reducing the duration and then uh, like kind of slowly moving out of any of your dollar assets if you can? Um, you know, I, I don't want to make any recommendations, you know, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it doesn't sound like a bad idea, you know? Well, I mean, is that, is that how it would get played like as a trader? Um, sure. I mean, like I, I'm of that opinion. I'm sure people disagree with me. I'm sure there are people who definitely like the, you know, the, the back months, 
uh, on the treasuries. But I mean, I, I think, yeah, I, th- I would go shorter term. Um, I, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even go shorter term. I mean, I just really get out of it altogether. I mean, honestly, I mean, I think they just, uh, just wasn't it just two days ago that, um, you know, the federal reserve said that there was going to be no rate hike and the market actually went down instead of up, you know, which is a bit peculiar, you know, I mean, why would looser monetary policy, uh, cause the market to go down? Um, so I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of uh, ideas out there why that's the case. Yeah, it might but. have to do with foreign earnings. Anyways, I think we've we've had a good chat for the, for the weekly uh, for the weekly uh, news and technicals. Uh, thanks so much for being with us and letting us know a little bit about the this covered interest rate parity and how that's affecting our Bitcoin price. Uh, we've had with us Kevin Zhao, former chief economist at Buttercoin. Thanks for being with us, Kevin. Yeah, thanks, Trace. Always a pleasure. Be sure to get a copy of the free Bitcoin guide at freebitcoinguide.com. Got a question or suggestion? Record your voice at bitcoin.kn. Don't be shy. To help the show, share bitcoin.kn with friends, post about it on Reddit, and otherwise spam the interwebs. Your iTunes comments and five-star reviews are very important to us. Please continue tuning in to the Bitcoin Knowledge Podcast, where we release interviews with the top people in the Bitcoin world. Now take some choline and let that Bitcoin knowledge consolidate.